Welcome to HEAL. This week, medical doctor Rachel Reinhardt-Taylor shares her incredible vulnerable story of confronting physician burnout, nearly committing suicide, and the tribal medicine that has healed her heart and soul. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Okie dokie. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I know I just, I always, but really like, I only pick the best people to be on heel and you're one of the best people. So I'm just like, this is awesome. I am so flattered. Thank you so much, Sarah, for choosing me to be on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Dr. Rachel Reinhardt-Taylor and you are practicing currently in what state? I, well, so now I'm telemedicine. So I have licenses there's a lot of emergency COVID licenses right now, but my, my full licenses are in Virginia, Arizona, and California with pending licenses in Maryland, New Jersey, Utah. So isn't that awesome that like, I mean, look, we got to find our silver linings to that heck of a year that we've had and how awesome this has really pushed something forward in medicine that's mattered to me about accessibility and freedom for physicians to not be locked into certain locations. And so that's really rad. Like you've got, you know, you're physically outside of DC and then you have this ability to make a difference for people in so many different places in the country. And that's similarly how my practice is set up. And when I first did it, everyone was kind of like, what are you doing? Is that legal? How are you pulling that off? And now they're like, (laughs) how are you doing that? And can you teach me? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like, well, yeah. That's how I do my, that's how I set up on purpose. My intuitive practice too is so anyone, because for, for the intuitive practice, I don't have to have, it's not medicine. It's, it's intuitive. So else. yeah. So I do it not live on purpose and not in person on purpose so that anyone in the world could call me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So we got a lot of different things we can explore today. You know, what, where we got connected through a mutual dear friend of ours was that he knew both of us as women that practice medicine and also cultivate our intuition. And we pull those pieces together where appropriate. And that was what our initial connection became about. And then we've just found, you know, there's this other sub conversation, whatever direction you want to go, that has been a commitment of mine. I've stood on the assertion that if doctors were completely free to practice medicine true to their own hearts, we wouldn't even have to have this whole integrative conventional alternative conversation. There would just be good medicine being practiced. And I'm very aware how often what a lot of people experience is like, oh, the doctor did this and they totally sucked or this thing happened is like, yeah. And if you actually got to talk to them behind a closed door where they were free to speak their mind, they tell you they didn't even want to do it that way. They would have wanted to have other options or ways to work through things. But we've built this machine of the industrial complex of medicine and insurance and hospitals and infrastructure that's got a lot of slow to change and antiquated knowledge systems, all of that, that is part of what holds us back from that practice. And then there's this other piece of, are our physicians, nurses, healthcare practitioners, all of the above healthy? Are they healthy? Are they whole? Are they nourished? Are they taken care of? And why does that matter? Yeah. That, you know what, that's the perfect topic. I agree with you 100%. And I just spoke at the Physician Burnout Symposium about that very topic and how really it's not, 
you know, it's not very healthy for our patients when our, when our providers are burned out, be it naturopath or Western medicine. It doesn't matter if our providers are burned out, patients are not getting a good experience. And one of my big, there was a big push in Western medicine. Well, a couple of things in Western medicine, just as you already touched on, right? the integrative, integrative functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, preventive medicine, like they have all these titles now for Western medicine, people who want to practice medicine on a holistic basis. Yeah. The problem is I think that, and I think that, I think that the strongest, the strongest way to be is, is a combination of naturopath and Western, but you know what I mean? Like, I loved your analogy when you told me, you know, we use, we need to use a paintbrush where a paintbrush is due, right? And a hammer when we need yeah. that. And like a lot of Western medicine is very much a hammer. Yeah. But I tried using a paintbrush, like say recently I, you know, after I had this minor stroke, oddly, by the way, the, the doctor that connected us, he had a stroke around my same age. Hmm. So now he's, he's been really helping me coach. He's a coach now too. So he's been coaching yeah. me through some of this, but anyway, what was I? Oh, after this, the stroke, you know, the depression is that's expected after a stroke. Initially I was good. I have an integrative psychiatrist who, you know, we are doing St. John's ward and like all these different things and glutamate and probiotics and making sure my health was optimized. But, you know, I just kind of got to a point where I was like, all like, it's just not, I get, it's not all working. I need a little bit of a hammer, like, you know, but I think because my body was, and it took me, you'll, I have a whole blog on breaking my pride about having a book called medication detox and needing an antidepressant, even in a small dose, you know, yep. I think I'm lucky. I get away with very small doses of things because I'm so sensitive to medication, but, but yeah, yeah anyway. So that's one problem is that we're using hammers and we're in a place where I think first medicine, well, I don't know the timeline, but we started making medicine into a business where now we have to make X amount to break even. I mean, that's just, that's how any business model works. Yep. And I think that has really then started making it easy for, you know, the insurance companies to say, well, you're going to bill at a hundred dollars to see a patient for, let's say back in the day when we got to actually see patients for like 30 minutes at a time or an Mm -hmm. hour at a time, right? Let's say, okay, I'm going to bill $300 to your insurance for this visit. I mean, it sounds like a lot. Your insurance, a lot of insurances will say, okay, I see your $300, but we're only allowing you to bill $100 for this code. And then we're only going to pay you actually $50 of that $100. So what happens is that now, okay, and then, you know, as these reimbursements are going down, our medical malpractice, our, you know, the cost to maintain an office, malpractice insurance is nuts. You know, the, the different supplies, like there are all these, these groups who, and then, you know, our different state licenses, each license is about $1,500 per state to maintain and you renew them, however. So, you know, the, and again, I, I actually do talk about this in my book too. Like 
as you can see now physicians used to make a lot of they did used to make a lot of money but now yeah. reimbursements going down and down and down we're barely like a lot of doctors closed their doors during covid yeah. because they're barely keeping their head above water. And to actually maintain the facility was so costly that that didn't even make sense to maintain, you know, staying open under that time. And like, and it's so tricky because, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm in a unique position where I come from, you know, straight business. My clients pay me directly out of their pocket and they purchase supplements and there is a markup to the supplements and it's X, Y, and Z but it's, you ask me, I can give you the transparency on all of it. And, you know, and then when I have a client who comes to me where we're working things out from a budget, the first thing I'll do is drop as much of a discount on supplements as I can get away with where they're still paying my fees, but I'm giving them as much of a break. You know, I like, I try and work with people when, you know, something happens in their life or whatever that is and to keep myself competitive. And even that I just have my own cost of running my business and how to actually manage that to work it out. And mostly I am around $300 an hour, which is interesting. You pulled that number out, you know, but that's yep. only accessible to certain people that, that they right. can even invest. Now, one of the things, and I'm not like, we can get into, you know, there's an ethics conversation. There's so many pieces of this for me, where I've stood in my personal ethics is at least it's as transparent as I can get it. We're crystal clear where the dollars are flowing. And that's one of the things that's also happened as medicine has grown over the last 150 years from literally being your net, you know, neighborhood physician that you went to their doorstep, that you had an office in their own home, they had a little apothecary right there, and they right. just or they came to your you, house, or they yeah. came to your house with a little black bag, and yeah. actually like delivered the medicine, you know. And I am such a sucker for like all those old time shows, and I just watched Outlander, and the main character is a physician from the future who goes back in the past. Mm-hmm. kooky crazy but I just loved watching her like do the medical science and then try and backtrack as a physician to use the herbs that were available in the local area like it just kind of tickled me on that integrative side but what I'm aware of with all of this is like we have these multiple competing systems around medicine that are each their own business and they're working to make as much money as possible but they're working against each other the insurance yeah. company is trying to make the money and then the actual doctor's office slash don't even get started about the complexity of a hospital, right? And everything oh they have God. to deal with. And I was each, in the hospital for one each, night for my stroke. And I think I got eight different bills and it's like $5,000 yeah. for one night. And yeah. it, it is complex. It's so complex. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a client who had a incident of syncope. He fainted. And the way that it happened, he actually hit his chest on the way down And then everyone thought he had a heart attack because he had chest pain and it took him a while. So they did this huge, massive workup for him fainting, which is actually something that he had had in his history anyways. And at the end for this whole thing, they said, nothing's wrong with you. And we don't know what caused it. And it was $15,000. Yeah. And And it was just like, it ballooned so quickly. Yeah. And I think you're right. You know, going back to all of these competing and even competition, like it, it, it hurts, it hurts my heart and soul a little bit when I see people who hate Western, I hate Western medicine, it's toxic, or I hate the naturopaths, they don't know what they're doing, they mess the, and it's like, whoa, like, everyone, like, if we could just take a step back, and we could all just get along a little bit, that would be yeah. optimal, that would be the optimal yeah. care, 
you know, and, and so, yeah, it's I mean, it is tough. And I, you know, as you talk about, okay, yours is a transparent, this much flat fee. Well, however, however the, then it does become unaccessible. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I, I would, I would love to help my, I have a big, I'm a big softie for underserved populations. As you know, I did emergency medicine with the Native Americans. I've done several medical missions and I'm actually, I didn't tell you this yet. I'm applying for a grant, hopefully from the, there's a, the NIH, the National Institute of Health has a branch that's for research in alternative and complementary therapies. Awesome. And I'm applying for a grant to research free ways that people can have an actual, like, like, does this type of meditation actually cause your hemoglobin A1C or your diabetes numbers to go down? What free ways can we help? Not free ways like the car, like what free ways can we help these populations that yeah. don't have access to, to not to naturopaths, which I think should be the first step yeah. as a Western medicine doctor. I truly think naturopath should be the first step to everything. Unless you like got in a car accident, then okay. Or like, you know, right. but they're specific, but generally, yeah, yeah. but, but, but then how healthy can we get these people? How optimized can we get them by just educating them? Yeah. You know, a lot of the studies they say in the book I wrote is, on purpose like the publisher wouldn't let me put like free ways to be healthy because they're like that wasn't selling any books people are like if it's free I don't have to buy a book so fine okay put something else but that's the idea that's the idea is like here look look at how healthy you can be for free look how optimized you can be for free yeah and the science isn't people don't know I actually used to think like whatever naturopath schmathrum but then when I started working the Native Americans my eyes are open like oh my god there's yeah. so much amazing healing that is av- available and to everybody literally in your know. kitchen cabinets and or just down the street at a grocery store drugstore like hydro hydroperoxide castor oil baking soda like there's so many things that actually you know go a long way and, and even coming from being in naturopathic school which like so seriously, when I was 24 years old and I applied, I didn't know naturopathic physicians existed. I grew up in upstate New York. Naturopathic medicine was not a thing in New York because it was legally completely banned. It's now exists, which is interesting because I'm moving to New York. This is gonna be my <laughs> first time living in a state that doesn't acknowledge naturopathic physicians as physicians. Now I'll have my other licenses and I'll be working you know, in those states as well. So I'm gonna be able to work with that. And with my local population in New York, I have to abide by those restrictions. Now, the kind of cool thing is my actual practice is I do a lot of the coaching people around water, food, sunlight, air, movement. And then a lot of the remedies I you know, would recommend for them are things that they can get accessible from a natural food store locally. So I'm gonna be able to still fully practice, but like this whole thing around it is, you know, when I was in naturopathic school, I really thought I was going to the Hogsworth of like alternative medicine. I was like, we're <laughs> going to learn all this crazy, awesome, intuitive and like Amazing. cosmic and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, actually, I mean, it is good in the long run as I've gotten older and wiser. I've discovered that, you know, as much as naturopathic universities and colleges, you know, from some people in the conventional world look at our training and they're like, they're not trained and they don't have enough. Actually, when they talk to us and they ask the questions, they're like, holy shit, you did all that in four years? Because I actually had to do a complete MD 
Now we don't do residencies the same way that conventional doctors do. So like residencies and fellowships and all the work after, but your medical school and my medical school were the same. And I had to do four years of nutrition, three years of herbs, three years of homeopathy, physical manipulation, like all these other components that bring in the naturopathic part. When I was in school, I was pissed. Cause I was like, what do you mean? I got to learn pharmacology. I hate drugs. I was so mad. <laughs> you know, there was like this whole part of it. And I would, I mean, like literally I was like mad, but mm-hmm. I'm super grateful for that foundation. And I remember even when I left school, I didn't trust the basic remedies. I didn't think they'd really make that big of a difference. Like really castor oil packs, like you rub some castor oil on your stomach and you put this little cloth on and you sit there for 45 minutes. Like what's that going to do? And what's crazy, like recently have a client who through our relationship, she actually did a routine colonoscopy and they found significant cancer. We would have never, we caught it in stage two, would have never happened otherwise if we hadn't been like, look, we got it. And she actually got pushback from some of her MDs about getting more lab tests done, which I don't really understand why, but we stood and stood and stood and she got done what she needed to. And then here we go, right? So now Mm -hmm. she's in, she's doing combination radiation and chemotherapy. She has an allergic reaction to the chemo. So she calls me and I'm like, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this too late. So she calls me and I'm like, look, here's (laughs) what I know. Vitamin C calms down mast cells and hives and can actually reduce an immediate acute, you know, um, allergic reaction. Check it out with your oncologist, but here's what I'd have you do. And I prescribed recommended vitamin (laughs) C for you know the first trial and within 24 hours her hives had completely stopped and calmed down and here's a very simple remedy that you can find anywhere which i still you know giant disclaimer to this entire episode nothing we say here is medical treatment nothing we say here is medical recommendations you and i are shooting the shit and talking about what we see but if we don't have these conversations if we're not willing to challenge it we don't Mm -hmm. learn and we don't grow and yeah. then go to your physicians, go to your doctors and have these conversations. And if you yeah. don't have a doctor that's going to talk to you about these things, find another doctor to work with. Oh, I say that so much. I, I always tell people, they're like, well, how am I going to find, like when I left my last job, how am I going to find another doctor? Like, you? I'm like, you will find one. And if they don't, you know, if they do give you pushback or if they don't want to do whatever, find another one. One thing, one thing that may, as you're talking about why they gave her pushback, I, I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes when I talk to patients and I'm like, listen, because you don't fit an X or Y guideline, you, you're going to pay a lot for this lab test, yep. but I'll order it for you. So yeah. maybe that, but anyway, that's off. Yeah. That, and that, that's, that's also- where that ins- the insurance piece comes in where they're making as many of the medical determinations of what care is needed or what things need to happen. And like, I'm all for, I actually do think we overspend on medicine in the United States. At least if you look at the statistics, dollar for dollar, and then health outcomes, something is not working in the system because there's other countries that spend less and they have better health outcomes than we do. So there's some things which could come down to like, if we were freed up, more physicians were able to say, and like antibiotics, this has started to become part of the conversation. We've recognized the threat of overprescribing antibiotics and that actually a we can't create antibiotic resistant strains and b you know childhood fevers and exanthems and illnesses is exercise for the immune system you're priming yourself you're learning about it now this is again a case by case scenario per kiddo but like kids are supposed to get their hands and fingers and noses and toeses into everything and get sick right. and then they're 
they're training their immune system. And if right. we don't allow that process to go all the way to completion, you truncate that immunological response. And sometimes that's when you get the imbalances where you have too much TH2 response that causes more allergies and inflammation. The body mm-hmm. actually gets habituated to cause an allergic reaction to things where it should be learning the B cell, T cell differentiation. It should be learning about how to actually specifically attack this virus or this protein and you get other complications from it. So we figured that out. Yes. There's more docs that are far more willing to say, actually, no, go home and let it run its course. Okay. Or if it gets too feverish, you know, use some Tylenol, which that's a whole nother thing I have about, we jump to suppressing fevers too quickly. Yeah. You know? These are all, and I, girl, you're totally preaching to the choir. You know how yeah. many times I'm counseling and I'm just like, listen, a fever means your body is doing what it's supposed to do. They may get so uncomfortable that you cannot tolerate it. Okay, then take a dose of an anti-inflammatory, but don't be afraid of a fever. You don't need to be treating yeah. a number. And then again, preaching the choir about the antibiotic resistance. My my undergraduate degree is microbiology. And awesome. I know, but here's something funny. I failed microbiology in medical school and then <laughs> took a... Okay, I was a single mom in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like I no, just I get forgot. It. But 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 then they had me take a remediation class and I got like a ninety-six percent on it. So clearly I, I failed my anatomy boards between my second and third year by one question. That's so funny. One question. And so I then I had to study the whole next year and go back in. And fortunately I was in the cutoff where they actually were allowing us to still take one section of the board exams. You didn't have to take all five of your basic sciences over again, which is what happened the next year. So I snuck in under that, but I had to spend six months. So I actually now damn solid in anatomy because I- Going back to, we were talking about- Antibiotic resistance in microbiome. I think I, yeah, we were talking about all of that. I wanted to bring into, you were talking about how you wished it was like an intuitive school and things like that. Can we go to there? Yeah. Okay. So for me, I started getting into intuition. I know you do medical intuition. Mine started when I started working with the Native Americans. Before that, I did not even believe in, I didn't believe in it, but as, but there were some medicine men that were like, you have like, like you have this skill and it's hard for you to handle because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, and I call it a skill. I like how, I don't know if you know Carolyn Mist, how she says yes. it's not a, it's not a gift. It's, it's a skill. Anyone can do it. It's like playing the piano. If you're interested, you got to learn, but anyone can do it. Yes. And so, so I started getting into it because it started making my life easier because when I got that gut feeling, I knew I could trust. Yeah. Like this patient, one of the big things about what I did emergency medicine with the native Americans, one of the big things about that is they say the hardest thing isn't intubating, you know, intubating for those of you who don't know what that is when you put the tube down someone's throat when they can't breathe. Mm-hmm. it's not I mean it's it's you have to learn to do it obviously it's a skill but the hardest part is learning when to pull the trigger and do it because if mm-hmm. you do it too late you're tr- you're fighting against an airway that's closing and and you're you know it's gonna be real hard if not impossible if you do it too early the patient might have pulled through without an intubation so that's one way in which I use started really tapping into my intuition does this patient need a tube down their throat? Are they imminently about to die if I don't yeah. do this? Like that, that is something some people will call like a doctor's intuition or some, or their cops have the same cops intuition. And I think 
I think we all just kind of say like, oh, it's just kind of whatever, blow it off to experience, but it's not. I mean, it's a feeling in your body. It's, it's your gut reaction. It's a knowing, you know, and, and I think, I think it's really important, not only in the medical field, but in everyday life to say, yeah. okay, what am I learning here? And then, you know, I, and that's kind of, it does involve, there's a lot of, excuse me, science behind intuition, right? So I think one of the big things I talked about, if I could go into my story about my burnout, do you want me to, yeah. is that okay? Yeah. So, oh, I'd had a lot of kind of off and on depression, but it hadn't started since or until I started medical school and was in the kind of that abusive relationship. And then, and then I got to a point in 2018 where I was flying around the country to different reservations, doing ER. And I loved, I felt honored to work with the Native Americans. I learned so much, but something about it just, just more and more, I was asked to kind of suppress my feelings, seeing, seeing children die, see, you know, seeing horrible domestic violence or, or, you know, rapes coming into the ER, you know, suicidal patients, things like this. And I got to a point where I was so overworked. I was so exhausted. I just, I just wanted to give up. And then it, it just kept, I just kept ignoring it. And then I got to the point where I wanted, I felt, okay, I had a plan. I'm going to kill myself after this shift. And people might be shocked to hear that one plus doctor a day kills themselves. So physician burnout and suicide, it is the highest uh, rate of suicide of any profession. We're encouraged to not get help because then it goes, they ask on your license, have you ever ha had help for this kind of thing? If you do, you want to do it, you know, pay cash for a therapist so they can't request these records. And a lot of people, you know, we have $300,000, $400,000 in debt. And with the reimbursement rate so low, we're going out of business. I mean, we thought we were giving our lives to help these help people, which is what we all wanted. So I think most doctors are very sensitive. Yeah. So then anyway, there was a, it was an act of God that I didn't kill myself truly in 2018. It was. I, people who are like, wow, you saved a lot of lives on the Native American reservation doing ER. And I'm like, no, they saved my life basically because they saw in me and understood why it, this was so hard for me to tolerate in ways that Western medicine didn't. Because at the time I was talking to a therapist weekly, even when I wasn't in town, you know, we had televisit. I was on the right medications. I was following yeah. with a psychiatrist. I was you know, everything, but it just, it, Western medicine didn't have the explanation, right? And so, you know, I, I got to a point where I thought I was going to go home from this shift on one of the reservations and, and kill myself. And something, God or whatever you believe in, had other plans. I didn't even attempt. I reached out for help right away. And so I think part of it was knowing my daughter, I have a daughter, you know, and I thought she doesn't care anymore about me. I'm gone so much. I'm always working. And I think, you know, that was, that's a big thing too. Physicians don't really, we don't see our families a lot. We're asked to work 80 plus hours a week. There's no work hour restrictions. You can't call, you're sleeping during the day. You never interact with your kids. And when you're awake, you feel so tired that you 
you don't feel like a zombie. You're not yeah. making any connections with people. And then to push patients through the way that they want us to, to make this more money in the hospital or whatever, you know, it's, yeah. you lose that personal touch. And so, <clears throat> so anyway, I came back, I lived in Phoenix at the time. I came back from South Dakota to Phoenix and started to get help. I ran into, I think, non-coincidentally, I was going to this like cold pressed juice bar that was in this little fancy apartment complex I was living in. And they're like, Dr. Taylor, back really early. Like what have, like, usually you come, you know, you're gone more. And I'm like, yeah. And I don't know why, but it's just like diary of the mouth. I was like, yeah, guys, I became suicidal. I needed to come back and get help. They were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I don't know why I told them these people, you know, right? like why? Yeah had just so happened there was a girl there who was not supposed to be working in that juice place and she was like she's she was doing inventory she came from a different one and she was like you should check out combo you should you should talk to these people and they happened to also be both what this guy was trained as a physician assistant in, at Yale also a Native American actually he's indigenous but not Native American excuse okay me. Yeah. wife is Native American and he had quit P being a PA to go back to naturopath become a naturopath and it just was I was like you know I think I had to be in this place of nothing's working because as I told you I didn't believe in any of it until yeah. I got to this point of desperation like none of the western medicine shit is working I'm doing what I like every quote unquote, everything right. And this, none of this is working. And so, you know, a little hesitantly, I did go, I called this guy. I went and met with him. And that's when I got really introduced to intuition and, and some of the science of intuition. Some of the, I don't, I'm sure, you know, the heart math Institute research where they yep. show, you know, our, our, our EKG, which we use in Western medicine, the variability of our heart rate, meaning like you, well, so when we take a breath, our heart rate will change. Usually we used to think that this was like a weaker heart for our heart rate to change like that when you take a breath, but now we know it's a, a better heart to adjust when you're taking deep breaths. And that's called heart rate variability. And, and those, if you put two people in the same room, 18 inches apart, you can see a change in someone else's heart rate variability. And you can see someone's mood from their heart rate variability. You can see, are they in a coherent loving state? Are they having this certain, it's called like a sinusoidal wave pattern as called coherence is what they call, uh, Heart Math Institute calls it. Or is it, you know, this kind of all over the place, angry, depressed type of heart rate pattern. And they have now proven over and over, you can tell. They've also proven that your heart rate electromagnetic field, you know, from your heart overlaps with people's brains, electromagnetic field. So think of how many suicidal patients I was seeing a day, three or four, because the ER is the first place they go, which is great. I'm happy to keep people safe in the ER until we get a better place for them to go as an yeah. emergency basis. But, you know, I didn't, no one is taught, Hey, maybe you're kind of picking up what they're putting down. Yeah. You know, maybe because this guy, the guy, George is his name. He's amazing. He's like, maybe it's not yours. I'm like, what are you talking about? The suicidal is not mine. How could this not be mine? 
you know, like I feel so deeply, you know? And, you know, so then I started doing more deep dives. I mean, you taught me about like PTSD and the methylation of your DNA. Your DNA changes just from seeing like traumatic things or experiencing traumatic things. And so then I, I started to do a deep dive, you know, into kind of, wow, you know, what about like, you know, facial mimicry? Well, there's a lot of, you know, studies where you facial mimicry, you know, they say you can recognize what someone else is feeling by their facial expression, but there are studies that go even deeper to say, and then we feel those emotions. Yeah. And like the mirror neurons now where literally our nervous system mirrors back what's around us. And like there's, and there's, and then this is like, we've kind of put this under this heading about intuition, which that sort of is its own. There's a lot here, you know, there's, there's Mm. where, you know, cause some of the books I've read too, like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talked about this a lot in Blink. And then I'm currently reading David Kahneman's um, Thinking Fast and Slow, which a huge part of that book is about what he calls intuition is just our fast twitch must, you know, response in our brain that yes, if you're a physician or you're a lawyer or you're a musician or whatever, you've built a big skill that there is this ability that your brain has to come to very quick conclusions that are usually accurate and we deem that intuition, but that's really just your expertise in the, in the part of your brain and the way that works. Now, my caveat is, yeah, there's that and there's something else. Like there's yeah. also something that's kind of supra to that that is what I experience is a connection to something that's more bigger because sometimes... The stuff that I would innately say is not what I'm hearing in my head. Somebody wiser, smarter, more responsible for their emotions, has higher integrity, is talking to me inside my head, giving me information that is not the level that I'm operating in. And, and whether that's right. spiritual guidance or, and you know, there's a whole world of then energy medicine, energy yeah. healing, which mm-hmm. there is a lot of science to, and we have actually quite a bit of pretty sensitive machinery that can actually take photographs of electromagnetic fields and you can see how things change and you can do that with they've done double blind placebo controlled where they will literally have a person in a room who has no idea what the experiment is actually about and then they can watch these things alter and change in their electromagnetic fields because somebody else's intention on that person yeah oh right and did you so I, this is really funny. I'm such a nerd, but I got, I had the great opportunity to be in touch with Roland McCready, who's the head of research at HeartMath Institute. And he has emailed me a couple of PowerPoints that were just presented about distance healing yeah. and, yeah. and how you can one, like what, like you have to have two people that have met and have had a positive experience in person. And it's kind of like Einstein's, he called it spooky. Was it spooky action at a distance or something like that? Like, cause it's a funny name, <laughs> yep. but it's quantum, quantum physics where you can take two electrons that were near each other, remove them to, yep. yeah, completely separate them to any distance, thousands of miles. Yeah. Stop one electron and the other one stops at exactly the same time. There's no lag. There's no, yep. yeah. So, so I think that's kind of where this research idea came from, but but they talk, they talk, this research is like basically like a husband and wife, for example, they have their little heart monitors or whatever. And then one is like doing dishes in the other room in another house and the husband's wherever this person is meant that like on purpose distracted. So she's doing dishes 
and the husband stands there and he will intentionally send love to this person. And it shows this person's heart go in and out of coherence based on him yeah. sending love. And I'm yeah. like, right. holy shit. Like, yeah. So as you can imagine, if we are, as physicians are having a bad day, our patients are mad at us are, you know, we're still human. My, you know, my daughter screamed at me or my ex has to take me to court or whatever things that have happened to me in the last actual, you know, year, I had a stroke. Like if someone's mad at me, <laughs> you know, my, yeah. uh, my heart rate is running out of coherence. It's running them out of coherence. But, and, and the thing about the coherence too, is this affects your physical health. I mean, we've shown to us Yeah. yeah cortisol levels, higher risk for heart attack and stroke, you know, diabetes, like you're talking about the stress hormones with especially with cortisol, yeah. insomnia. I mean, sometimes. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing a ton of with my clients is like, we may even identify adrenal dysregulation and that they've got, you know, hypopituitary adrenal axis dysfunction. They've got endocrine disruption. They even have like, you know, gut microbiome, like, yeah. Okay. There's real legit physiologic imbalances in their body, but there's this kind of overarching thing of like, how do we get their nervous system to actually come back into that parasympathetic dominant coherent state where the body is experiencing, I'm safe. The world is safe. Like I'm loved. The world is loving like that experience of life. And if we don't shift that, you can throw all the remedies at them in the world. And it's right. really hard. It's like, it's like that actually is a key piece to being able to open that up, which is one of the beautiful things. We're talking a lot about heart math. There are other access points, but it's a really good one, you know, yeah. to be able to start to retrain yourself, how to get into that coherence and that resonance, and then how it actually causes the opposite where you get positive feedback and you start to calm certain cytokines down. It shifts your immune system function, all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, and in, in that same vein, when I was saying like, I'm doing everything quote unquote, right, according to Western medicine with a therapist and I'm taking the antidepressant and I'm doing the blood and I'm following yep. up with people. So then George, like I wasn't quite ready for this combo experience, which is a- And tell us know, what combo thing. is, yeah. So combo is a legal, non-hallucinogenic secretion from a frog. I know some of you have seen that Simpsons where that he like licks the frog and he's like that's having Yeah. Yeah. That's something else. And they, you know, they use it as a kind of in a, in a healing ceremony. I'll only go mm -hmm. that far because it, if I describe it too much in depth without people experiencing it, I think that freaks them out. Yeah. Uh, or they, they form opinions and, and really each person should decide on their own. Yeah. Well, and what we can't say is it's a purgative. It helps the body excrete toxins and it liberates withheld emotions and toxins. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it can, I don't know a lot about the biochemistry, but I have a dear friend who's actually going to be on the podcast and talk about it. She's a combo practitioner and nice. you know, it, it does solicit an inflammatory response, but in that process helps detox and heal and purge a lot of things out of our system. Yeah. Right. And, and this should be said too, that I had to wean off of my antidepressant medications and stuff because, because combo does cause a large surge in serotonin and yeah. I think dopamine, I know serotonin yeah. for sure. There's contraindications. Then, you want to work so, with a yeah, so practitioner in the whole world. Yeah. Everyone, please, yes. Look them up. There's an international association of combo practitioners website. You can look them up on. And my, my practitioners are, I look for certified practitioners anyway. So 
I'm there and he's telling me about being an empath and how maybe this isn't yours. And I'm like, um, I don't know about all this. This is kind of some crazy shit you're talking, man. But because he had, was a trail Yale trained PA, he was able to take me through that science store. You know what I mean? Where it was like, okay, I can get on board with this. And I think I was at such a, I mean, I literally was like, this has to work or I'm going to kill myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this, it's this or death because I'd given up because the thing I thought would make me over the moon happy, which was basically my job was like a full-time medical mission. Like, I love that stuff. It was not. And I was so run down and I just had no understanding. So anyway, here's the, what we're talking about. All I could have had all the medications in the world. But what he, what stopped the suicidal thinking that day was he looks at me, he's like, how about, how about Adine is his wife? How about Adine and I do pranic healing? I'm like, what is that? He's like, it's like an energy healing on you. And I'm like, I literally was crossing my arms with this look of like, whatever. I mean, I didn't have to say it. I was like, okay. And then, you know, and then he goes, look, you don't have to believe in it for it to work. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, isn't that obvious that I'm <laughs> bullshit? And then they do it and never again have I felt suicidal. Life has gotten hard and shitty and really hard things. I mean, I had this stroke, but oh, okay, wait, let me take that back. I did have a hard time after the stroke just recently where I was yeah. like, I don't understand the meaning of this. Why did I survive this? But it wasn't like suicide's an option. Yeah. You know what I mean? Killing yeah. myself was no longer an option. It just never occurred to me again. There were times mm-hmm. where I was like, I just want to give up. Life is hard. I think everyone has that experience. And that was from the pranic healing. Like, you hadn't even actually done a combo treatment yet, correct? No combo. Yeah. No, yep. No com- Like I was still on medication. So being the Western medicine trained and combo practitioner certified, he was, was smart enough to say, we can't just throw a combo. This is going to be right. um, dangerous for you. So I created this long relationship with them over months while I was kind of leaning off of medications. I also went to a naturopath. Well, sorry, she practiced traditional Chinese medicine. So she did that. I did some acupuncture, stuff like that. It was weird though. She ordered like American herbs. I don't know. She, I don't know what, whatever she did, it was fine. It worked. And I came off of the, (laughs) (laughs) I had, that's one other thing I think. As a population, but I think especially as a doctor, trusting a non-MD's judgment was a huge letting go experience for me. Because mm. I think truly, if I had found, if I knew what a naturopath was before I went to medical school, I probably would have chosen that. Yeah. Honestly, but same as you, I didn't know what it was. My dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse practitioner, my stepmom's a nurse. All so very come big time medicine. from that conversation. Yeah. 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 So my so mom my was a dyed the wool hippie. <laughs> so that helped. See, yeah. <laughs> no, not at all for me. Like yeah. hardcore Western medicine, anything hurts, you take ibuprofen and Benadryl. And yep. like it just was. Although I did have also my mom was a single mom of four. So like bless her, bless her soul. So, you know, until, until she got remarried when I was 11. But I think, I think because of that, I don't want to say she was like neglectful. She wasn't, but I got to get in the dirt. I got to get yeah. in the mud. She, yeah. even though she was a nurse practitioner, she didn't have time to coddle me. She's like, I gotta yeah. be somewhere. 
is your fever over 101? No, you're you're going to you're fall. fine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. exactly. Yep. That was. So you had a little yeah. extra support there from that standpoint. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So and that's what I, you know, that's why I counsel my patients same as what you're saying. Like, even with COVID, like, okay, this is this is a very hot topic. So I don't know if I should bring it up, but okay. Even even with COVID, you don't have to take whatever is the newest medication that they think might help like listen to your body take a breath you know and it is very very scary and I can understand you know am I going to die I'm going to have these side effects I mean we there's so much we don't know but some of my patients are calling like I had a fever to 100.5 like and like just you know let's just watch let's see I want to talk a little bit just to give people some specifics about that, about fevers. And just because, well, it is a bit of a hot topic. (laughs) Mm. That's right. Uh, I'm here all day. Uh, (laughs) From my training and my understanding of immunology and as a naturopath, because we're, we're big on fevers because fevers are a massive healing mechanism that the body has to its ability. And what we actually run into is a lot of people who's Systems are so suppressed with just generalized inflammation and nutrition deprivation and toxicity that they can't mount a high fever. They can't even get past 100, 101. And that's actually a sign of a suppressed system. And one of the ways we measure health in a lot of our clients is to even just do regular daily basal body temperature. And a lot of people come in at 96.8. 97, like they're not hitting 98.6 on a daily basis. And that has to do with thyroid and that has to do with toxicity and accumulation in the body. And when my clients get healthier, they start regularly having a normal body temperature of 98.6. And then you have the fever calibration and like, you know, 100, 101 is hot. It's sucky. We get 101 to 103. You're starting to get weird dreams. Usually that's where body aches will kick in and you might sort of have quasi hallucinations. Sort of, you can't really always tell when you're awake or you're asleep. And then right around 104 is like, Ooh, shit's getting real at 104. Now for most people that have a normal physiologic response, the body starts to shut the fever down at 104, 105. Like it won't go past that point. Then if you are getting 105, 106, it's climbing, A, A, definitely pop the Tylenol and the pyrogens and be in communication with the physician. If not, go to the ER or the um, urgent care. But that's actually when we know it's running away from us. But the cytotoxicity that comes from a fever and what fevers do is they increase the metabolic rate of the body. They give more energy to your enzymes to work more efficiently for your immune system to do its job more completely because you've literally added energy there's also a whole bunch of viruses and bugs that don't like it when it gets hot. We yeah, call they it cold, can't survive cold that. Hey. because yeah. the cold, the cold, the, the virus that causes colds is happiest at 95 degrees, which is why it's mostly in the upper respiratory because it's cooler part of the body. And so mm-hmm. if the body gets too hot, it doesn't like it and it dies off. Right. And yes, we always have Tylenol. Always go with whatever your physicians are telling you, but there's some really cool home tricks to bring a fever down by a degree and just be able to kind of watch it. And one is to just literally use cold washcloths and just put them on the forehead or the back of the neck because that's where the circulation is. But the other is sometimes in the hospital too. That's right. It's awesome. And then you can also just go up a layer. If you need to cool the body down more, get a pillowcase, dip the pillowcase in super cold water put it from the top of the shoulders, collarbone down to the top of the hips, and then put warm blankets over the top of the kiddo or the person. 
And ideally it's wool that comes from the old time hydrotherapy docs from like the 1930s, but still wool is the best, but anything and just let them be and their body will actually start working more efficiently and it'll like bring the temperature down a little bit. If they're really up there and you want to bring it down some more, you wrap them in a wet sheet. You get a whole bath sheet and you wrap them up like a burrito and put warm things on them. You can add a heating pad. You can add hot water bottles. That's actually part of a hydrotherapy treatment that actually really helps modify the body's ability to detoxify. And I had one client who apparently I had educated her about this beforehand and she had COVID and all by herself, she was like, there was one night and I really felt horrible. So I just did a wet sheet wrap. I didn't even know that I had told her about that. Wrapped herself mm-hmm. up. She said she felt amazing. Like an hour later, it super broke her fever. She didn't have to take Tylenol. She started to sweat. She moved herself through. The body aches calmed down. And so it's really, those are the kinds of things that like, did you ever have to take health class in high school? We, uh, had, a, we had a program in high school that was called health. And it was like really I basic think we information. Had health class in high school. I don't remember what, yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. Basic. It's often part of a lot of like in New York state, it was part of our core curriculum. And like, I should probably start a platform for this, but if I had my way, I would be able to put like three or four lectures into health class. One is just the basic anatomy and physiology of how your body works. So many people don't know the basic physiology. And then to be able to talk a bit about some really natural interventions to help balance hormones for girls in particular, because how many girls go on oral contraceptives when they could just be like using essential fatty acids and some dietary things to help calm all that down, which birth control should be for controlling birth. If that's what you're doing is preventing pregnancy, you know, make that choice. But if you're just trying to deal with acne or cramping, there's so many other remedies that are just as useful you can do. And then things like this, you know, like health birth controls the hammer, birth controls the hammer. Yeah. yeah. We got options around that. Totally. Well, and I think there are some studies now that the longer you're on birth control, especially if you start in your teenage year, the more likely you are to be depressed. Yeah, there's, and, there's a handful of, of definite like cost benefit analysis to all of that. But so what, here's a question that came up for me when I was listening to your story, which was freaking stunning. And thank you for just being so authentic and transparent and sharing. Cause it's just, it's not a conversation we have very often. It's not a place that a lot of, especially when we're in these far, these professions that kind of part of the profession is being like, I have the answers. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. confident, you know, like you, and that's part of creating that trust, but it's also like the humanity. I just love it. I'm so honored that you shared and just how you shared. And thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I, I think I mentioned, I've mentioned before, I I used to, I was taught in med school and everything, be so professional. No one wants to hear about your own personal life. No one wants to- We were taught to leave our emotions at the door. Yeah, Yeah. and now- Even in naturopathic school. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, any professional league. But now I, I started dipping my toe in the water long before I learned about the intuition and everything. Way back in, I think 2014, when I started my family medicine residency, I would dip my toe in the water and be like, well, you know, patient be upset about whatever, say that they were like, oh, I had some trauma when I was young. And they'd be like, really? I'm like, well, what kind? And then, you know, maybe they'd like allude to a lot. Well, let me tell you about what happened to me. And this is how I worked through it. And this is what it, it happened. And then patients would just, they, they felt a safe zone. It's a safe yeah. zone. Yeah. 
And then they just would be sobbing and I would just be holding it, you know, and that I think is more healing than any medication or thing I can do. And now, you know, when I was working in person, now I'm, now I'm telling it only, but when I was working in person, they would joke, oh, Dr. Taylor's making them cry again. (laughs) Because because I'm, I try my best to make this a safe zone. You're afraid to share your story. Let me tell you about the bullshit I've been through. Like, here's a, here's a snippet that is relevant to this appointment (laughs) that, you know, and I think that, I think that creates healing. I think that creates an open space. Yeah. Where we can say, yeah, I've been there too. And this is how I felt. This is how you feel, yeah. you know, and, and that pra- it's funny. Cause we talk about being an empath. Well, and then practicing empathy, you know, right. and having that in our conversations. And we actually do have hardcore science and research that backs up how healing that is and how reparative that is. And then also, you know, it's not done as a manipulation. It's done because it actually makes a difference for people. But when you have that bond with the patient, even in an emergency situation, and you're with them for half an hour or 45 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is, the likelihood that they will actually follow your instructions to the letter, the likelihood that they'll do follow-up care, the likelihood that they'll actually like take the actions necessary to take care of themselves goes up dramatically inside of that trust and that relationship that got created. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I've had, even as a med student, I had patients request me. I'm like, they know I'm a student, right? And it wasn't (laughs) because, yeah, like, why why would you want me? I'm a a student. It was, I remember these parents had twin, like two-year-olds. And I think even my, my, before I knew what I was doing was like, you know, really empathy or feeling how these kids are feeling. I like, they were like, we've never seen our two-year-olds be so unafraid at an appointment. Like you, mm. you just sailed through that. I'm like, really? They're not always, you know? And I think that is really just, it's that, it, it is that rapport. It is that kind of, I'm going to let my wall down so I can feel what you're feeling a little bit. And I want to know, because then we can, we can start where you're at and we can work together. And I think I agree with you. I, it's funny, you know, there, it, when you go through residency in medical school, you know, that there it's very abusive. They are very, very mean, you know, and, and there's actually a movie I was asked to, after I spoke at the physician burnout symposium, there's a movie called do no harm. If anyone wants to see a documentary about how, how bad it is called do no harm. And the director reached out to me and asked if I'd be on panels for her because I was so honest in my story at the physician burnout symposium, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so you know a lot of the the physicians that that do the training and things are some of them are not very pleasant and they're not very willing to give good recommendations, but almost every one of my letters of recommendation would include she develops rapport so quickly. Yeah. And I think that is so important for us to just instead of putting up walls of, oh, I better look professional. I mean, you can't, I mean, I have shed tears with my patients. Yeah. Because I, you know, and I, I think that's I way think it's more mutually healing. beneficial and healing. Cause like, you know, where we started this conversation is like, was that suicidal ideation yours or had you absorbed it from others? Right. So then that begs yeah. the question, well, how do we not pathologically take on other people's shit? And what I've discovered, because I have sim- similar path where like, 
So I knew I had a strong, well, knew, yeah, I did. I knew I had a strong intuitive streak from the time I was little and I had parents that recognized it, saw it and cultivated it, talked about it. So it was in my family. And then there was a point in my kind of like late teenage, early college years where I like bah, kicked all that out and I tried to suppress it. Ha, that didn't go well. I'm and sure I ended up with actually my first teacher and I sat in a three-day retreat and I started to cultivate the skill of my intuition and reading into people's energy and really quickly started to discover something. Cause I have a lot of people call me and ask me about this. People that consider themselves highly empathic or highly sensitive. There are books written about people who are called high sensitives. What happens when you're raising a high sensitive kid? There's like all kinds of different things around it. And, you know, in our, I'm going to use my word for this in the allopathic world, allopathic being a word meaning to do the opposite of which in life-saving hammer needed heroic situations, sometimes that's exactly what's required. We have a tendency to be like, oh, well, my access to not taking on my patient's shit is wall. Yeah. But you sometimes are you now do have to do that. trapped inside your own self for one, and you're still a human with a beating heart having responses and reactions. And then it becomes wall, numb, suppress, wall, numb, suppress, wall, numb, suppress, heart attack, stroke, suicidal ideations, depression, all those things that build up inside of us. And what my access to being a healer and not taking on my people's shit was two things that I got taught. Well, now three, actually, these are tricks. One of them was to recognize that I'm a conduit. So it doesn't stick to me. It can go through me like through a pipe or a tunnel, but it literally just comes through me and goes out. And then I had one of my teachers who actually talked to me about a visualization or she's like, well, that, that's an option, but then you're still kind of like actually having to feel it. You're taking it into your own body, which if you do this work mm -hmm. day in and day out can start to be a thing. And she would actually talk about the difference between being an empath and empathy, which is often a felt experience. And it comes from your gut. And in energy terms, they would talk about that being as reading from your gut, reading from your third chakra and moving it intentionally up to my sixth chakra or my visual space and reading as a clairvoyant where the reading would happen out on a screen out in front of me, like watching a movie. And we mm -hmm. practiced that as a skill. We had like classes on how to shift from feeling the other person's pain or feeling into their body to being able to turn it into a visual landscape. And that was super helpful and protective for my body. And then I had one last teacher where she talked about putting yourself in a mirrored bubble and only things that could get through the mirrored bubble are at your frequency or higher. So you're yeah. not dropping down the mirror into, bubble. Yeah. Yeah. So like these are, you know, one level, they're kind of like mental tricks, but then, you know, let's play the quantum physics game and the power of intention and see how that shifts things in our electromagnetic field. And yeah. I know other practitioners have talked about just having good practices, like even, you know, so say you're emergency medicine, pretty conventional. There's not like you're going to be sitting around doing meditation sessions between patients I've had yeah, some physicians tell me that when they go to wash their hands, they intentionally have the water, which is known as a cleansing healing agent, be where it kind of washes that energy away out of their body. And that every time they have to go wash their hands, which is a lot during the day, that they're able to just let that go and release to take baths at the end of nights and then drain the bath water so that you're like literally giving it away to the water and letting it go. Yeah. Could be it's, going I, to I a tree a outside. Absence, uh, yeah. I've yeah. my I have to tell you, there was one day, an especially hard shift. I got back to the place where I was staying. I literally went and laid like prone, face down on the earth. Like, take this, you know, because then sometimes 
Whew. I mean, I've done the the mirror bubble that you told me about. Yeah. I've done one. There was one guy that taught. Funny that one of the first courses I took was called duality, which was mm. living, paying attention to how your body is feeling while the outside world, you're participating in the outside world, which was very hard to run a code and see how I'm feeling inside. You yeah. Know? It's a lot um, going on. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so that was, a, I think was, was probably actually the best place for me to start because I needed that. That's what I needed first. And, and then he had this thing called a permission rose where you like imagine yeah. a rose you put, have you heard of that? We yeah. put between you and the person. And I actually, I hope my 13 year old doesn't listen to this, but I do this with my 13 year old some days when I pick up from her dad, I'm, I'm putting permission roses between me and her because I'm like, you're welcome to have your, you have permission to have that energy, but I don't want to take it. Yeah. I can, I can understand how you're feeling, but that vibration's not going anywhere near me, you know, yeah. and that, and then I think, I think we, now this is a, this is going to be a slow moving train, but you know, it gives me hope that we have things now like the physician burnout symposium, these big conferences yeah. where we troubleshoot ideas about how can we stop these physicians from killing themselves what are we missing here basically and I think you know I was happy I was worried about how well received my kind of you know the emotional contagion the mirror neurons the facial mimicry that how well that would be received in a group of western medicine physicians but they you know I was I was happy to hear a few of them being like wow I never like I never thought of that I'm like that's the the biggest thing I think we're missing people who ignore that, you know, for their health to the, you know, to the detriment of their health or, or, you know, not giving physicians that kind of time and space they need to check in with themselves in between yeah. a patient. To, yeah. And then the grander scheme to be able to get in communication when they need to just be heard, express emotions, talk about a hard day, you know, right. and that doesn't all, I mean, therapy is an amazing way, but there's other levels of intervention that doesn't even have to be a full-blown therapist that can be in the world of, you know, peer support groups and things, but there's so much still built around, like never showing weakness, never stigma. showing yeah, fall. Stigma. And, and especially within your own working groups. I mean, this is something that has gone through a lot of the professional world in organizations about like I went to and was a speaker at a conference called the Compassionate Leadership Summit in Seattle two years ago and I was the only medical doctor-ish like I'm not a medical doctor but like in the medical world there wasn't a lot of us that were at that a lot of people were corporate a lot of the people that spoke were just from inside of, of what they're doing in different companies and we talked a lot about the stigma these concerns that people who are in leadership positions, like, oh my God, if I tell my story, if I tell people that like I'm manic depressive or I've got these, like, what the hell, like, that's going to ruin it. What they've actually in the research and corporate environments have shown, you know, there's a degree of oversharing and trauma sharing that's distinct, but to actually like with intention and compassionately to yourself and others, share your humanity, those end up being leaders people would die for. People will stay in the company or they'll follow that person from company to company because of the bond and the emotional. It's like being willing to get into a kind of relationship that's more like being family. I mean, oh my God, in conventional or in the you know corporate world, you're with these people 40, 50 hours a week. 
in medicine, you're with these people 80, 90 hours a week. Like these are yeah. your family you members. You them, are literally you see seeing them, them more than your, than family. your family. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. And opening up the permission for more of that, which I know is a still very revolutionary idea in a very patriarchal, hierarchical driven, competition laden workplace. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I think I agree with that, but, you know, I think with the younger generations coming along, the fact that, again, that there was a physician burnout symposium. Yeah. That there is opening up. Yeah. Yeah. There, one of my, one of my colleagues, his name is Anup Kumar. He's an ER physician. He's written a few books about that. I think he has a, it's like called second mind or third mind or something. I'm sorry. I can't remember exactly what it is. He's written a couple of books. I met him. Kendra's an awesome Thank producer. You. She'll look it up. We'll have it in the okay. show notes. Yeah. Thank you, Kendra. Um, <laughs> uh, I met him the same time I met Deepak Chopra and he, he just started a group that was for physicians who wanted to talk. I mean, and just via zoom and kind of anonymously. I mean, this is, it's sad that we live in that kind of environment where we have to kind of do it, sneak around and do it, but it's kind of a beautiful thing. You know, there with that movie, do no harm with the physician burnout symposium. Like there is so much humanity. Yeah. I feel like being brought back into medicine yeah. Yeah. and, um, and I'm it's going to transform can, medicine itself. Absolutely. And, yeah. I, and I'm hoping that in the future, integrative medicine won't be a specialty, but it will be, yeah, but we do. So one of you know, my like impossible promises that I will probably never see in my lifetime, but if I would love to have happen is literally where there is no such thing as alternative and conventional medicine. There's just right. medicine. It's, it's medicine. just medicine. It's all medicine. And there's this and the first, world of opportunity. And this for, and the first medicine we use is our food or our lifestyle. That's our first medicine or our, you know, self-care or meditation, like that's our first medicine and it's yeah. all medicine, right? Yep. That awesome. would be beautiful. Let's do that. How can we do that? Okay. Sarah? Next podcast, we'll get working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but and that has been, let me, yeah. I live in DC. Let me just go over. They, yeah. they just let anyone knock on the White House door, I think. So I'll just Oh, yeah. Say, you should just, just go say. down to your local representative and knock on his <laughs> front door. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I love that. And and it is. It's And, you know, Maisha Claiborne was an MD that we had on Heal. And she and I actually spoke at a conference eight years ago, literally about very this very thing of what does it look like to restore integrity to medicine and integrity being inside of like what medicine really is for the healing of people mm-hmm. and taking care of humans and taking mm-hmm. care of ourselves as doctors inside of it. And that's something that it, it has yet to surface as like my core conversation, but it's one of those where like, especially if there's anywhere I can throw these ideas out to people who are listening and they want to jump on it, you know, like keep me posted because it's absolutely something that is near and dear to my heart. And yeah, yeah. like dissolving the boundaries between it has to be this or that. What if we just looked at the patient and from the best of our expertise and we were able to refer out, like we refer out to other physicians when it's outside of our scope and say, you know, the best fit for you would be integrative psychology or the best fit for you would be working with a gastroenterologist that's going to actually repair your microbiome, you know, the whole world. Yeah. yeah, we're getting there. I, we're getting there. I mean, I know, I know I talked, I, I think I mentioned this to you. I think, I think one of my goals in this lifetime is to open MD slash ND 
clinics. Awesome. Yeah. And ND clinics. And then yeah. just have that be, have two people who know. Yeah. I have friends that work in clinics like that and it's awesome. It's like the cross referrals and the ability to work in tandem and, and the discovery about each other. Cause that's the other thing. Like we see this in political situations and ha, my lawn guys just got here. Isn't that fun? So we're going to wrap this up in just a second, but there's a little background noise, but is, is to literally be able to look at, you know, in political world, we often make the other wrong, the one that's not like us. Right. But what they found that makes the biggest difference is getting one side and the other side in the same room together and discover each other's humanity. And that's also part of it for me is like, the you know, I've actually had more medical doctors on heel than I have naturopaths. And I just realized that. And I was like, well, that's funny. But it's because I really want to highlight this relationship that, you know, I mean, I love talking to my colleagues, we can sit around and like be right about our perspective on the world all day long, but I love right. having these discords and being able to, you know, and I'm sure you and I could go far enough, we're going to come across stuff that we have a disagreement about. That's Absolutely. awesome. That's where we yeah. learn, where we grow, where we get challenged, all of it. So yes, we're going to have to do this again. I'm so stinking honored to have you here. You're brilliant. You're beautiful. You're awesome. You've just shared your heart with us and thank you for Aww. everything that you're up to. And, and we're going to have, you know, show notes and we'll have your bio. And if people are resonate with your message and they want to get your book, we'll have the link to your book. All of that will be on the website. So. Aww. And you, same to you, all the same compliments back to you. And I cannot wait for you to live in New York and you'll only be four short hours away. So then we'll have to meet up in person. Absolutely. I've got a lot of friends in, in Philly and a few in DC. So I got reasons to come down there. So that's totally. right. Yep. I'm yep. just 10 minutes outside of DC. So awesome. Thank you we'll so go see much. Bi- we'll Dr. Go see Rachel Biden together. Yeah. We'll go knock on his door together. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Until we get to do this again. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Inspired by our community of over 4,000 incredible listeners, we will be launching some courses and workshops in 2021. Be the first to know about them and other great tidbits of wisdom by joining our mailing list at sarahmarshallnd.com. Thank you to today's guest, Dr. Rachel Reinhardt-Taylor for her open, honest love. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour and our kick-ass editor, Kendra Vicken. As always, Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.